Excited to have everybody today. I got a really, really cool guest. I know I say that sometimes, but I don't always mean it, meaning like I know they're gonna be cool, but I haven't fully experienced their coolness. This guy, I've experienced his coolness. His name is Mr. Chris Palatroni. We're actually in a, a group that we meet once a week with fellow health tech entrepreneurs trying to use tech for good versus evil. And he's building a really cool, exciting project called The Standard which we will get into and I'll let him tell you guys more about. So let's get into it, man. As I was saying, thanks for being on. We know each other, you know, most of the people that I interview, it's just completely cold, but this one, we've developed a relationship, a friendship, a business relationship in terms of just helping each other. We can see a lot of holes with, I was just saying, we're in this mastermind group together where we help each other to push and hold each other accountable on our products and what we're trying to do to help the world with our health tech. And it's amazing, isn't it, Chris, how many holes that we do not see that other people can just see immediately. And we're like, I've been in this rabbit hole for all this time. And how did I not see that? Right. Yeah, it is. You just, you get tunnel vision. I think at anything that you do, we unfortunately have blind spots and hey, that's why I got you and we got Claudia and Class and, you know, Zane and yeah, you need a good support system for sure. I love it, man. Well, I'm excited to get into what you're doing and I know we're going to have some great conversations. We always do. Let me just officially introduce you with your bio so that everybody can get a little bit of a background. You're known for your simplicity and your unwavering focus. I would agree with that, knowing you. You understand the importance of self-care, recognizing that by taking care of yourself and looking how to do that and the things that you've learned, just like me, to help others as well. And that's what you're doing with your system. Uh, you got a loving wife by your side, two wonderful boys. Yep and you cherish your role as a dedicated family man as i think we all do when we have families nice work so let's get into it you're an entrepreneur you had this other business you sold we've got a very parallel story i think that's why we hit it off mm -hmm. that you did real well with you're now still just like i did technically working for the company that bought you but you're also now realizing just like i did this epiphany hit you like wow there's more to life and this is what i see and i'm dedicated to wanting to build this Thing to help others. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think for most entrepreneurs, I'll speculate a little bit here. There's so much fun and joy in building something, but I don't know that we all start with building something that's sort of built from our passion, if you could find your purpose. And so for me, when I first started building a company in my early twenties, I just thought the concept of like, wow, I get to build something. And one day somebody may buy that from me was like the coolest thing in the world of you can take something that doesn't exist. You can breathe life into it. And to such an extent that somebody's going to come by and say, I will give you money for that. And we ended up exiting a couple of years ago. We sold the business for a little under 70 million and it was phenomenal. It was such a cool, like, oh my God, we did it. But then I remember the day that I got the call of like, it's official, like money's going to your bank. We finally did it. I was like, huh, I don't <laughs> yeah. feel anymore. I don't feel any more successful today than I did the day I before. I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. James Clear talks about it in his book, Atomic Habits. We think it's the reward, but it's actually the anticipation of the reward yeah. that we get those dopamine hits on. And then the reward hits and you're like, Ooh. so yes, continue. Yeah. And so it was so much that I was actually driving home from San Francisco at the time from a business trip. And yeah, I mean, you have all these anticipations of what it's going to feel like. I'll be more successful. I'll have more to put on my resume, one more accomplishment. And yeah, it was a little lackluster, if you will. And I don't want to take away from the significance of what we did. We did something phenomenal. We were bootstrapped. We didn't raise VC funds. So in that sense, it was a miracle. But yeah, it really had me starting to think of like, well, if I'm going to do this again, how do I pull some sort of lesson forward to not get to the same spot maybe one day and feel the same way? And so I think the hardest thing that I face now is just how do you enjoy the journey? Like, how do you not over-index on a milestone and X amount of followers and X amount of users and X amount of revenue and this podcast and this person, like that's a tough thing to do. Dude, you just hit it. That's it, man. That's what I think, that's what 99% of the people out there starting businesses get wrapped up in. And you and I are in a unique place because we did it, we went that route and yes, it paid off. We 
also recognize that that's not the way to do it again. Like we learned that you can actually achieve the same thing, but in a different way where you're enjoying the ride and enjoying the journey, like you said, because I can tell you for sure, it was very exciting for me in the beginning. And then the middle was cool. There was a lot of fun, but I, but I was enjoying the challenges in the beginning. Towards the end, those last two, three years for us, dude, I was miserable. I was totally miserable. Yeah. And I was just like, get me out of here. And I was like, that's actually one of the reasons that I like told my partners, I shook them. I was like, we got to sell. And they're like, no, no, just, we're good. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you do realize Grubhub, Uber, like yeah. billions of dollars are attacking us from every yeah. direction. Oh no. Yeah. But we, we got in first. So anyway, so sorry to interrupt you. Continue. No, I mean, it was the exact same thing. I mean, I had so many conversations with our CEO, Jason Polko, great guy. I love his family. And I remember I would come to Austin and I'd be like, dude, we got to get out of this. Like we got it. And it was so much of it was just because we built a phenomenal business. We love the people we were with, but at the end of the day, what we were doing was not at our core. It wasn't our passion. And so this next time around, what I find so ironic about what I work on now is I have so much fun doing it, like just a ridiculous amount. I mean, I can wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I can pour hours into this. I can spend until my bank account goes dry. I have no monetization path. Uh, like I'm, I, am, I am like beyond a startup. I'm so humbled for where I'm at right now. And it's so interesting that like, I am choosing to work on a project that feels almost insurmountable. I make no money at it. There's no monetization path. I have such a long ways to go. And yet I get more reward out of what I'm working on. And I feel more passionate about it. I feel very driven about it in spite of not having all those other things, which I find such ironic. And as I mentioned to start this, like trying to enjoy the journey is like literally the hardest part I struggle with every day. It's like, oh my God, if I just work more, if I do more of this, we'll be farther along. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't sacrifice your mental health and your well-being. You still got to go to the gym. You still got to get off work to play with your kids. You still got to help around the house. And that's the challenge of sort of bucking up against the traditional startup CEO, which is grinded out 80 to 120 hours, relentless, seven years to become an overnight success. And right. now I'm like, well, I wonder <laughs> if I can live my life and enjoy it and I'll get there when I get there and I'll see if I'm happy with that. That's a tough thing to swallow. God, this is actually, I, you and I always have the best conversations and this is like serendipitous. I was literally, before we got on the phone, working on a, a section of my, my system and I just reread a part my notes from James Clear's Atomic Habits yeah. to talk about exactly this. Yeah. So I want to just read them really quickly because they yeah. literally tie into exactly what we're saying to just kind of drive home this point. He, Clear says that goals restrict happiness when you get there, because he always talked about goals versus systems, which I have mixed feelings about, but that's another conversation. But this part I agree with. When you get there, then what? The purpose is to play and have fun, not win. In any sport, the goal is to win the game but you won't get better by looking at the scoreboard the whole time. Instead, focus on the process, the system, then the score takes care of itself. I just, I love that, right? It's a reminder that, first of all, make sure that you really are passionate and love what you're doing and are, and are good at it. I think you got to combine those two because yeah. you are going to hit a lot of stumbling blocks. But if you're enjoying that process, just like you just said you are right now, and where I started my business previously and where I am right now as well, then you're aware of the fact that, okay, this is a business I have to build. I can't just have fun every day. Like I have to create systems. But if you're enjoying that, that aspect and building those systems, then the journey just becomes a lot more pleasurable, right? Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I mean, you can see, like, I got some quotes on my wall. I, I, a number of years ago, I, I love quotes. I'm always speaking very quotaciously. Yeah. I sort of distilled my life down to 21 quotes. I was like, these are the quotes. If I could just live by these day in and day out. And one of them up here is like, fall in love with the process. It's the James Clear quote, because what James Clear was really stressing in there. And I don't think he was saying like, don't pay attention to the goal or the milestone. What I took away from it was, hey, if looking at the goal or the milestone that you want to yeah. achieve or accomplish is motivating and it doesn't demoralize you and you feel uplifted, then that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you find that focusing on the goal impacts you in a negative way, then you should not focus on the goal and you should focus on the process because to his point, you're going to reach these milestones in your life, whatever they may be. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to make a certain amount of money. I'm going to get a certain promotion. I'm going to lose a certain amount of weight. And what you've got to remember is that, yes, when that happens, then what? 
or if it doesn't happen, then what? And so he's just more or less saying like, pay attention to how you feel your relationship to it. And a better strategy is to fall in love with the process. And so I completely resonate with that. I'll, I'll say this yeah. as much as it is what I focus a lot on, it's hard. I mean, it is hard. Like this morning was a good example. I woke up, I'm working for a couple hours. I'm in a good little groove. I, I, I wasn't as productive in the first hour. So I started to hit my stride in the second hour. And I'm like, shit, I gotta go to the gym at like six o'clock or seven o'clock. And I don't wanna go to the gym. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't wanna do it. And unfortunately, what I try to pay a lot of attention to is there are certain things that you need for your mental health and your well-being. And you have to find a way to put those into your calendar, whether it's time with your family or self-care time or exercise or whatever it is for you, social time with your friends, and stick to them. Because it's so easy for us workaholics, if you will, to just glaze over those and just keep working. You're right. Speaking of that, what I do and that I'm always trying to use that behavioral science, which I know you're into as well to sort of trick that little lizard brain into overcoming that I don't want to. So do you have any things in particular that you use that help you to sort of gamify that habit and trick your brain into wanting to do it, making it obvious, easy, rewarding, satisfying? Yeah. I, I thought about this coming into this and one of the things I'm incredibly intentional about it. So maybe I'll just back up a little bit. I've always been a creature of habits. Like it's always been woven into my DNA. And so I've always worked out. I haven't always been a runner, but running is sort of my cardio, if you will, my mental health. I've been running for 15 years. It's not like this is a habit I just picked up yesterday. And so I'll say that like over the years, I'm 42, 43 this year, I've built a phenomenal set of habits and I've stacked newer habits on top of that. And so what I will say before I, I, I say what I do now is you have to be intentional about what are the things that are going to move the needle the most. And there, and there's some non-negotiables that are pretty universal. I mean, you and I both know them, right? Like you got to take care of your sleep. You got to take care of your nutrition. You've got to get exercise and whether that's working out or cardio. Right. I mean, those are like the three really, really big ones. And there's a lot of other ones. It's hobbies and activities. It's social life. It's, it's generally, they're like, there's definitely a lot of stuff to pay attention to. But if I distill it down to like really fundamental ones of like where you should start and what you've got to build off of, it's like, got to get your sleep right for such a variety of reasons from reducing stress to stabilizing your nutrition to just even having the energy to function in the day. You've got to get your nutrition right. You've got to get your exercise. Even if those things are not where they want, they should be today. If you can start to tackle one at a time, set the bar so low, you trip over it, pick one, work that out, build the habit and then stack the other. And if you get that, they have a compound effect and they, they sort of converge into each other where you start to get a tremendous amount of energy and focus. And then you can start layering in the next one and the next one and the next one. So I've done that for years. So now I'm at a really good spot where so many things are taken care of that it's very easy for me to layer in the next thing or a couple next things. But I would say the big secret that I do now and even where I make it attractive, make it obvious, make it visual. There's a lot of like basic cues you should do. But the one thing that's really worked for me a lot right now when it comes to habits is I don't overthink it. I just don't. So for instance, like this gym thing this morning, I put it on my calendar. It's a reoccurring event. I go to the gym every Wednesday at seven o'clock. I don't give myself a lot of time to be like, well, I do. No, I don't want it today. I don't play that game. Like it's a waste of brain space. So yeah, I have the thought that flutters in, but I don't hold on to the thought. It like flies by like a cloud. And next thing, 645, I've got to leave my house 15 minutes to get to the gym. I just do the exercise and then done. So whether we're talking about going to the gym or even running sometimes or any other thing I don't want to do, if I put it into my calendar, I do not spend any time holding on to should I or should I not. I made the decision. It's there. I'm just moving on and it's just built. So point being is that like, once I'm thoughtful enough to pick what I want to develop and I put it into my calendar, I work my calendar and I don't second guess what I put into it. If I don't like that, the following week when I do my weekly planning, I have the ability to take stuff out if I really want to, but I don't give myself the luxury of making the decision in the moment, because as you all know, like you'll be a slave to your emotions. There's a lot of shit we don't want to do in the moment. And I'm just not going to play that game with myself. Dude, I love it. I love it. So what you're doing that I see that you didn't say out loud, but to me, it is, it's an actual 
it is a technique that you've kind of just developed. And that's why I love having these conversations and asking people this question because everybody's unique and everybody has their own system, right? Universal principles, those don't change. Like the universal principle of, like you said, you got to get exercise, you got to eat well, you got to have relationships with people. You have to have a, a mindset that's, that's going in the right direction and that you're continually growing. But how we express those things is different for everybody. So yeah, one thing that I heard is for you, discipline, the way that you're kind of overcoming it is obviously you're making it obvious by putting it into your calendar. But what you're doing, which is cool, is you're really committing beforehand to do it. And for you, that works. That may not work for everybody. Then this is key, I think. When the moment comes up where you go, I don't want to do this, you've actually developed a habit to catch yourself and just take action and move. And that's actually really, really, really valuable. If you can develop that habit, you use the words, I don't overthink it. And that's how you're seeing it. From my perspective, I'm seeing it as like, yeah, you're basically, you're not even allowing the thought in. It's starting to, you're cutting it off. That's the habit you develop. And you're basically being like, I'm just going to take action. Because it's so easy to do the opposite, which is, oh, let me let that thought in a little bit more. Ooh, what, what could we do and say, oh man, do this or I can do that. And then for your brain has made enough excuses that you don't do it, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, there's a few things that like are used as backstops to that. And one of them is the fact that most people that are highly disciplined will acknowledge the fact that in the moment of a lot of things that they're doing, they don't want to do it. In other words, the emotion that they have in that particular moment is like, no, nah, I don't want to go for a fucking run. It's raining outside. It's cold. Or no, I don't want to like send out cold emails. That sounds horrible right now. Or, hey, I don't feel like eating right. I want to go eat a bag of chips. Like there's so much humans are emotional creatures. Like that's just a fact. And you can't escape that. And so I am very aware that I'm emotional is really the point that I'm making here. And so there's that concept. And then there's the concept of and not enough people do this. I'm a big advocate of weekly planning. And so whether you call it weekly planning or monthly or whatever you want to do, you do need to have time to reflect on all these different domains of your life, right? Your finances, your relationships, and do I have enough dates with my wife or husband? And am I spending time with my children? And what's my exercise look like? It's like you have to have that. And most people are not intentional enough to pause, right? Life is so busy. It's the whirlwind where I mean, shit, the day's already swept us away. I know it's only like nine o'clock. My day's already over. Like every minute of the day is accounted for. And so it's so easy to get lost in your day. And so the weekly planning is the opportunity to pause and say, am I doing the things this week that I really want to do? Are they serving my interests? Are they leading me in the direction that I want to be led into? My business, my personal life, my dreams, my relationships with people, my seeing my friends. And if you can pause and reflect on that, and I choose to use a calendar. You can use whatever you want, but if you don't use something that like has those activities outlined, I, I don't know how you would remember them, but I do the weekly planning. I'm very thoughtful of my intentions. And then I put those activities into my calendar and it's not meant to be super regiment, but it's like, oh dude, my boy, Daniel, man, I haven't kicked it with him in like five months. I need to go grab dinner with the guy. Like send a text message out or, hey, I need to go fertilize my roses. It's on a six week, like whatever those things are that are important and all those things are important to me. I got to get them on my calendar. And so that weekly planning is that opportunity to lay out the most idealistic week and then like thoughtful about it. I don't have to put the shit on my calendar. And then the rule that I live by is like, if I put it on my calendar, I don't break the date. I don't break dates with myself. Yeah. Like I don't break dates with other people. If I say I'm going to do something, I absolutely do it. And that should be true for yourself as well. And so I know that in that moment, throughout that week, even though I planned it all, there's plenty of times where the emotion is going to get the better of me. And I'm going to be like, oh, I really want some chocolate right now. Or, oh my God, I don't want to go on this run. And so I just remember like, hey, dude, you had that opportunity on Monday to plan it. You didn't. You put it on your calendar. Emotion's going to get the best of you. Run with it. And then I'll do the activity. And then once again, that following Monday, I'm like, hey, if that, if that didn't serve you, take it out of your calendar, but don't put it in your calendar and then break the date. Because as soon as you start doing that, it's a really slippery slope because what's going to make you stick to anything if you just break every promise to yourself that you put on your calendar? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Like I was observing earlier, you're somebody that has mastered discipline, I would say. And that's a really fantastic habit to have because basically you're saying, okay, I've made a commitment to myself. 
And when it comes up, you basically, you're like, I'm doing this no matter what, because I made a commitment. So let's talk about 99% of other people out there. Maybe not 99%, but a lot of people out there and how to help them. And let, let's maybe both kind of discuss. So what happens to the person that isn't there, that is, is younger? Every generation that goes by, what I've observed, has a little bit less discipline. And now all of a sudden with technology, you and I have talked about this before, I feel like discipline is just eroding like exponentially because you can now click a button and this generation that's getting used to have growing up with like, I can click a button and literally get anything I want delivered in 24 hours, including myself in a car across town. Like, why do I need to do anything? Yes. Right. And so it's becoming really hard, I think, for younger people to do what you just said. Okay. I'm going to make this commitment and I'm going to do it. So maybe what do you think are some ways that could help them to develop that discipline, to want yes. to develop that, to make it more fun? Yeah, there's a couple things I would say, and less about the mechanics of building a habit. You and me both know, right? Like all habits, the prelude to a habit is clarity, right? It's defining what you want. It's you're the architect of your life. You're the programmer. You're the author. However you want to sort of define that. And, and I would say like for people that are struggling in any area of their life, right? It could be nutrition, exercise, career, path. I don't know what I want to do. Like it, it wouldn't really matter to me. I would say spend more time with yourself and spend more time with yourself in nature. Go for walks, have quiet right. time, self-reflect, journal. Like I, I don't care what it is, but I spend a lot of time and I love it. Like I love solitude. Like I am an introvert in a lot of ways, although I can be very extroverted. And I think it's really important for people to examine their thoughts. And if you don't know how to do that properly, like dude, there's therapists, there's counselors, there's coaches, there's so many people that can sort of help you do that. But I would say like, before you try to figure out how do I get better at building a habit? And don't mistake it, you could sort of bypass this step and just go to some of the building block habits like sleep, nutrition, and exercise, which even if you don't know why you're doing them, let's just be honest, they're non-negotiable. You're gonna need them if you want clarity and good health and if you wanna live longer. But spending time with yourself and just reflecting on like, I don't wanna say your values. It does come down to values and vision and what's your dreams. And like, there's so many cool ways to tease that sort of information out. The one that I love the most, that's very challenging for people to, to practice or, or to put themselves in is imagine yourself on your deathbed. There's some really phenomenal ones out there. There was a survey, there's a book, five things people regret when they died. I did a post about this and it was, I forget her name, Bonnie, I forget her last name. But anyway, she basically, talk to people that were on their deathbed and she interviewed them of like, well, what do you, what do you like, what do you regret? And the, the common themes were just that they were very common. Most people have very similar regrets at the later stages of their life. And I find that so fascinating because here's somebody that can't do anything about it. And they're telling you, I wish I followed my dreams. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I spent more time with friends. And I think that's so valuable because we're not talking about a one-off human being. We're talking about swatches of human beings that are saying like, look, dude, like I can't change what happened to me. And you're getting a bunch of people to say, this is what I would, would have wished I had done differently. And if you can pull that lesson forward and start to apply that to your house of like, shit, dude, follow your dreams. What does that mean? What are my dreams? Once again, I think it goes back to clarity and imagining what it is that you want. Now that doesn't solve with the, how do I actually put it into practice? How do I make it work? And, and there's a whole nother series you could do on that. But for people that are struggling, I think the best thing you can do is get clarity as to what you believe is important. And I think if you can get that clarity, even if it's something like, hey, dude, I want to take care of my family. I want to be a great role model for my children. I want to be there for my partner. I want to be there for whatever, my friends, my coworkers. Like, look, you need a full cup before you can pour into somebody else's cup. And so if you can start to get that clarity, my point is, is that I think you can then start to chisel out the what are those habits that are going to help me get to where I'm going. And once again, you still got to learn how to like develop those habits, but I think you got a little bit more power, a little more rocket fuel behind them to then be like, okay, I know why I'm doing this. Now let's go do it. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so, right. I mean, that is, that is right. That's not an actual, like you're saying, gamification technique, but that is in a way it is because same with my system, the first thing we do, and I actually, I call it the back to the future. And I yeah. talked to you about this. I used to call it the funeral list, but I now call <laughs> it the back to the future list because I'm an eighties junkie geek. And I think that it 
kind of is a cool spin on it and is a little less morbid. But the, no. the way I explained it to him, I was just coaching somebody yesterday and, and we just went through this and he's now filling his out. I'm excited to see for next week when we meet. But you essentially, right, you fast forward to the end of your life and it just, what it does is it cuts out all the bullshit. Yeah. It's like the best way that I know that you can just cut out all this stuff that you think is important. The Yale happiness course would call these miswantings yeah. that we all get caught up in. And all of a sudden you go, holy cow, like this is who I am. And this is what's important because when I die, this is what I want said about me. And you're not going to nail them all right then and there, but yeah. what will it will do. And it's something that, so I have them create a list and then you continually build on it as you become more aware of yourself and your surroundings and what's important. But just by starting it, you kind of go, wow. And then you reverse engineer, then back to the, back to the future. Then you come back to your present day and you and you shine a big old spotlight like you're saying this this awareness on your life and what are the habits that you're currently doing what's not aligned what are these pain points that don't align with that future self and then you get to work right and then that's so that's step one but you have to have that you have to become aware because you it's it's like trying to build the eiffel tower never having picked up a piece of steel before. I just came up with that one. That was a terrible analogy. But you, you get the gist. You got to have an instruction manual. Like you have to yeah. know what you're doing before you just start going. And I always talk about growth is it's happiness. Happiness is growth, ABG. But I think that the problem, and we kind of touched on it earlier, is a lot of people just don't know what to grow in. And there's so many things coming at them from social media and all these different platforms and people in their ears saying, you should do this, you should do that, without really any substance. And I think people are just unsure. And so it's like, they'll go and they'll try this. Oh, this this influencer did this, and I'm going to try that for a day or two. And then they try it for a day or two, and oh, I didn't move the needle. No, I'm going to go that. And they're just constantly being pulled. Yeah in directions versus having that ownership themselves of being like, this is what I need to do. And I'm going to develop a system to start tackling each one. Right? Yeah. There's a great quote that I love. It's called awareness is the greatest agent of change. And the spirit behind the quote is it's hard to change stuff you're not aware of. And so like, if you're trying to change your life, like, and once again, like some, some people will argue like, Hey, the clarity's great. And you definitely need it at one point, but it's better just to like, start doing stuff because let's be honest, if you start doing it, then you feel like doing it. You never really feel like doing it before you do it. So like, I, I like it, it can oscillate between either side. And that's sort of the beauty of a lot of this stuff. It's the same thing with the James clear. It's like, some people are very motivated by goals and some people are not so motivated by goals. It's the process. And so it's, you've really got to find what works for you. But the reason why I'm such an advocate of spending time by yourself, and especially spending time with yourself in nature is because look, you, you absolutely can sort of copy somebody else, right? You can say like, well, why is Will so happy? And like, I don't know, like maybe I need a house like that and a wife like that. And maybe I need three kids. And like, they're like, sure. Maybe there's a, a starting place for you. Although it's, it's very challenging to just copy people in life. But the reason why I'm so big on like spending time by yourself is because it cuts out so much noise. It cuts out fucking social media. It cuts out all your people telling you what to do. It's like, it forces you to look inwards to say like, what the hell do I want? Like, this is, this is my life. And I think what's hard for people to recognize is that you're not living your life for anybody else. Like as much as I love my wife and like, we've been together 24 years. I don't live my life for her. I don't live my life right. for my kids. Like, I'll take a bullet from my children. I love them to pieces. But at the end of the day, like I'm on my own journey. They're on their yeah. own journey. And we just happen to be near each other on our journeys. But what you have to recognize is like, you're in this for you and only you. Nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's going to tell you what, like, and at the end of the day, like people care about you. But at the end of the day, you're the one that should care the most about yourself. And so what, whatever it is that you want to be, like you should try to get some clarity as to that. And then once again, like, I think once you get that clarity, if you want to get a little bit more tactical, I do think it behooves people to learn some of the really basics around building good habits. And yeah, sure. Maybe go read a habit book. There's plenty of good ones. James Clear is a great one. Stephen Collars. I mean, there's so many good ones out there. And there are some very basic fundamentals to it, right? Little things that you can do to sort of hack your way into making whatever it is that you want to do more likely to be the outcome that you desire. The one that I lean on a lot or a couple is if it's out of sight, out of mind. 
So we, we both know when it comes to habit, there's habit stack, there's not habit stacking. There's like a, there's the idea of like a scoreboard or a habit tracker or calendar with X's on it. And like, dude, there's so much psychology behind seeing what is happening and holding yourself accountable. So accountability can literally be a calendar with X's on it, right? I did this, I didn't do this, right? Now, once again, pay attention to your relationship to that calendar if you miss too many days. But, but I'm very aware that vision is the dominant sense for most humans. It, 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 require, it takes up so much of our brain power. So if you want to make something a reality, make it visual, create a vision board, visualize the progress you're making in anything that you're attempting to do. Like vision, like if you can do something like that, I think that's really a big key. So vision is like the one that I lean on the absolute most. And the other one that I think is really important, there's so many that are important, but you have to start with one thing when you're just starting out. Like there might be a million things that you want to do differently. Don't mistake that. I need to eat healthier. I need to exercise. I need to start calling my mom more. I need to, I get it. Pick one and set the bar so low on that one that wherever you're starting from, it feels almost silly to start right there. So the one I like to joke around with is like running, not that you need to be a runner, but if you had the aspiration, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn to start running and it's overwhelming for you. Maybe just go find a running store on day one. That's it. You're not even going to run. You're just going to, there's a running store. I need to go get a pair of running shoes. I located the store and a couple of days I'll go get the shoes and then maybe go get the shoes one day. And then maybe the next day, literally just put them on and walk around your block one time. Like the point is you start the bar so low that it's like, well, that's not too much. I can find a running store. I, I could go buy the shoes. Like I could put them on. I could walk around the block. And next thing, and this is how I started running. I mean, the first time I started running, I was gassed. I was not a runner. I had basketball shoes on. I barely made it a half a mile before my lungs were giving in on me. And I think I ran a total of a mile the first day, like one mile. This is like 15 years ago. Yeah. And now I run on average 30 miles a week and it's not a problem, but, but it was that slow progression. And so whatever it is that somebody wants to do, I would say, start that bar so low. It almost feels embarrassing that you're starting there, but Hey, guess what? You're starting. Yeah, dude. I love it. That's one that, right. I mean, Clear, Fog, Doohig, like when it's in all their books, like you're going to want to pay attention to that one. And the, right, that's starting small, making it easy, right? Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, Atomic yep. Habits by James Clear. There's a reason. Like I, I actually listened to an interview the other day with, with James Clear and I actually, kind of embarrassing, I never got what he meant by Atomic. I always just kind of thought it just... I associated with like atomic habits, meaning like they have the power to just change it, which they do. But he also was pointing out the atomic part of it and like atomic particles and how they're so teensy tiny. And yeah. to try to just do it all at once, that's not how it works. And we will always fail because we'll get overwhelmed. We'll feel like this is way too hard, right? But if you do it in these tiny little increments and pick one little habit at a time, and then just like you said, just make it like almost embarrassingly easy. Then your brain, you're, you're basically tricking your brain into, into getting, you're faking it until you make it, into getting that going. And then before you're like, wait, I do this. And then what's cool, right, is that you start to crave more and you want more. And you're like, well, that was easy. I could, I could add a little bit more to that, right? But then you're, by that time, you're already in the habit and you're already kind of got that momentum and your your neurons have wired together and they're firing together, right? And so you can start adding the incremental stuff. And like you said, now it's a perfect example. You started that way with running and now, how much, how much are you running now? I run 30 miles a week. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Here, here's the other thing I'll say too. And like, I, I just, I see this so much with like friends and family. A few of the things I'll weave into this is like this, idea of being non-judgmental towards ourselves. Like, do we have so many thoughts that run through our brain in a given day, right? It's like 40 to 70,000 thoughts per day. They're fairly repetitive. They have a slightly bias towards negativity. They're disproportionately focused on ourselves. I think something like 80 to 90% of our thoughts are all about ourselves. And so when you start to learn all that, you're like, wow, like I have a lot of thoughts. They're not all true. They tend to be very repetitive. They tend to be more about myself. They have a negative bias, if you will. You start to learn all that and you're like, that's just the way the human brain wires. Like that's just, that's just a fact. And like, maybe you can rewire some of it, but it's, it's, it's sort of an innate quality, if you will. And so I think if you talk to anybody, they'll tell you, if they're being honest, is like, there's a lot of negative thoughts that we all have about ourselves, right? It's like, I don't like the way my body looks and 
I'm a little too fat here. God, I'm fucking lazy. I'm like, God, this never goes right for me. I'm like, there's so much of that. And it's like, I, I don't want to say you're like, stop the thoughts because that's really hard to do when you have so many thoughts a day. But my point being is that you have to recognize that like, that is the way that we're woven. And all those thoughts that you have are not true. And think of what, how you would talk to a good friend, right? I have this concept. I'm going to do a post about it soon of like, be a super fan. We all know what a, like, a crazy fanatic sports fan looks like, right? Like live or die that team, like nothing that they do, like they could do wrong. Like they're just, they're there fully painted, finger waving in the air. And it's like, you got to be like that for yourself. Like if you had a friend come to you that was struggling a little bit in life, would you look at them and kick them? Would you say the things that you're saying to yourself to them? And unless you're like maybe David Goggins, probably not. Like you're probably going to be like, dude, like you got this world. Like, hey, dude, today's the day. It's just one day. Like, it's okay. Get back on tomorrow, man. You're you shooting get back on right now. Like you've got to learn to talk to yourself with that love and compassion. And most people don't do that. And so that's one really big area that's important. And the other one that I'll say too, and this is, God, I see this so much, is so many people let good be the enemy of great, right? It's like, this is what I'm going to do. Let's just take nutrition, for instance. I'm not a nutritionist, so take this with a grain of salt. But they're like, I'm going to start eating healthy. No more soda, no more dessert, no more processed food, fruits and vegetables for me, lean food, I'm going to kill it. And then they have a lapse. They go out, they have, I don't know, like, fish and chips and they're like ah shit it's all's to hell and next thing they're like screw this week whatever and they give themselves permission to get right back to where they feel most comfortable and they're like i'll start next monday or next right. month or next year and they're letting the fact that they weren't perfect for whatever they were trying to accomplish be the enemy of like no you just have fish and chips like it's okay like have the fish and chips enjoy the shit out of them and then Starting the next meal, drink more water, like go back to the way you were. And, and, and that's a hard concept for people in everything that they do. And so it's a self-compassion and it's the idea that like nobody's perfect and you're not meant to be. And so when you have that lap, it's okay. Just continue your journey. I wish people could just yeah. embrace those yeah. two concepts. That's really, that's really good, powerful stuff, right? Just, just to remember. And I, yeah, I, I, teach, I teach that too. That that concept of like, and I always recommend that the book you and I have talked about this is How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's yep. the first book I ever read that sort of just woke me up and was like, wow. And I, what you just said, that reminded me of kind of a, a, a core piece of that book. Like the 89% of our thoughts are our own, are our thinking about mm -hmm. ourselves. And yeah. before I read that book and realized that it ain't rocket science, it, people care the most important person to themselves is them. And if you can figure out how to get out of your own head and make it about them and make them feel special, you will have all the friends you could ever want. You will crush it in business. And because the majority of people, because their thoughts are about them, they don't take themselves out of their own heads and actually go out of their way to make other people feel good. And you can see, I mean, when somebody does it, it, it stands out. Like when people remember people's names, people will yeah. ever hear. They love the sound of their own name. And we're all, I think we're always all telling ourselves, oh, I, I need to get better at memorizing names. But it's like, how many people actually develop a system to do it? So, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. And I would say other stuff too, like pulling out that book is smile at people. Like I'm going to do a post recently of just like one of the, the nicest things you can do from a kindness perspective is just smile. And, and, and there's so many other little things, like there's a great book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and he talks a lot about communication. And God, if there was one wish I had for humanity, it would be everybody gets much better at communicating. Because when you learn a lot of the fundamentals of communicating, you start to recognize that so much of the way we interpret one another is not just the words that we use. I want to say the words we choose to use are like less than 10% of the equation. I think they're like 7%. It's tone, it's inflection, it's body language, right? It's and body language is like 55% of the equation, right? So think about the relationships you have with like your partner. There's so much that can be said without actually saying a word. Think of your animals for the love of God. They don't even use words and you feel like what the hell they're talking right. about, right? So, so I think right. that like there's so much about communication of like how we can do a better job of interacting with people. Another one I was going to mention too here in a second, and this could be like its own little thing is environment. Like there is so much 
to say about environment. I talk a lot about this. I do some training courses in my my company, and I talk a lot about environment because environment's not just internal environment, which is huge, right? It's your it's your mindset, it's your mood, it's the way you think, which is a lot of what we're talking about, and that's that's huge. Right. But another part is your external environment. It's the relationship you have, and it's and it's everything as broad as are you happy about the country you live in or about the, the state that you live in or the county you live in or the town you live in or the street? I mean, it can definitely be geography-based. It could also be the relationship you have around the things that are in the room that you're working in. It could be your friends. It could be your family, right? Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Like, I'm a big advocate of, and I'm doing a post right here on the idea that, like, we all have so much potential, right? If you've ever seen the seed of a redwood tree, I mean, you've seen me. I mean, it's like a, like a little seed like this right here, right? It's like, Everything that's within that seed, everything other than it does need some external environmental things, which is my point here, but everything that is required for that redwood to grow to be thousands of feet tall, one of the largest trees in the world, it's already there. And it's the same thing with people. The potential is phenomenal. Everybody has endless amounts of potential to do amazing things, to live an amazing life, but just like that seed, if that seed does not get the things that it needs, sunlight and nutrients from the soil and water, it's never going to do what it was capable of doing. And it's the same true with humans. Like y'all have the potential, but you do need to be in an environment that allows you to, to, to take advantage of that potential. I'm really big on environment. I think environment's everything. Yeah, dude, that's funny. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's something I'm working on. Another thing I was working on today in my system and, and part of my, the making it obvious, which is I, I borrow from James Clear and BJ Fogg and Duhigg, I mean, kind of similar, but like making it things super obvious, like the, putting the equivalent of a neon sign mm -hmm. on things to make them super obvious. Environment, they actually don't talk about it this way, but I, the way I, I see that is environment does tie into that because that's basically like what's in front of you, right? Or I shouldn't say, I, I should, sorry, they, they mentioned certain things like make it obvious in terms of like, okay, if you don't want to eat chips, make sure that the chips aren't there and the thing you do want to eat. But the people part is another big part of it, which you were mentioning, like the people you, you hang out and surround yourself with. And that is part of your environment. I think people kind of tend to dis dissociate those two, but that's huge. The people like that old adage, you are who you hang out with. Like that is a universal principle. That is very true. If they don't have, if they're not aligned in their goals with, with like the things that you want to, achieve and if they're not doing those types of things and have those types of habits their habits are going to rub off on you because we we do internally have this innate sense that goes back to our caveman days to want to fit in so that we wouldn't be out on our own getting eaten by the saber-toothed tiger to fit into society and be liked and 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 we look at other behavior and we model it naturally yeah so that's a really powerful well, and I know you're a basketball player. I mean, think about it. It's like when you go play basketball, you hopefully don't want to be the best person on the court, right? Because when you're the best person on the court, you're, you're, you're not usually going to flex your full potential. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Like you, you want to find a way to surround yourself with people that are whatever your level is and whatever that is that you're trying to, to, to be or slightly above you. Maybe they're just a better person. Maybe they're more loving and more kind and you aspire to be like that. Maybe they, I had a lady on my podcast and we we're talking about running. I was like, I'll run with somebody, but they gotta be at my pace. Like they gotta be able to run at my pace or better. Otherwise like right. I'm gonna run slower and I don't wanna run slower. And so my point is, is like, whatever attributes you're looking for, for yourself, you need to surround yourself with people that are at that bar or above that so that you raise the level of your game. And the question I get asked a lot on this is, well, what about family? I mean, we can clearly choose our friends, although some people feel some very strong connections to lifelong friends, but what about family? I mean, it's blood, like, what am I gonna do? Like my mom's toxic or my brother's whatever. And I'm like, look, I'm not advocating necessarily to cut people out of your life. However, you either create really, really strong boundaries where you absolutely cut people out of your life. Like I don't have an old school philosophy of like, well, because we're blood, we should stay connected forever. No, screw that. Like honest, like if you're a toxic human being and I can't, and that's and it's weighing me down, then I'm not opposed to cutting you out. Now, here's the 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 av the, the devil's advocate to that is I do think if you take really good care of yourself, there will be times where you intentionally choose to keep somebody that 
is slightly more negative. They're a little bit more toxic. They're not really adding a lot of value to your world, but you're adding value to their world. And if you're intentional enough and you've done a good enough job of taking care of yourself, this goes back to you can't pour from an empty cup. But if your cup is full, I absolutely think that there's value in keeping people in your lives that need that role model because you're the person in their circle that's going to raise their bar. But that's a hard thing to do when you're struggling. So if you're struggling, then I would highly suggest that like you start to look at that circle and maybe make some adjustments to who your fab five is. But if you're one of those really strong people that has really resilient habits, your cup is really full, then I think as long as you're intentional about it, you may have a couple people in your life, maybe they're family or friends where you're like, what? They're not adding a lot of value. They're definitely not my fab five, but they need me more than I need them. And I'm willing to be there as a role model so that I can hopefully lift them up. And I think that's really smart if you're capable of doing that. That's a really cool way to look at it. That's great. That's a great point. That reminds me, this I actually interviewed this guy because I was so blown away by his book and it just really resonated and hit home on this point. The author of The Energy Bus, oh God, it's been years and I don't remember his name. Shame on me, but this is my ADHD, people. I'm, I'm, I'm human. I'm, I'm not perfect. Anyway, so he wrote, he wrote this book and it's called The Energy Bus. And it, he basically, the, the whole book could be boiled down to this one sentence, which is essentially get the right people on the bus but more importantly, get the wrong people off the bus immediately. And it's, it just, he talks about how different people's energy and which I equated to habits and that type of stuff can just suck you. They, he called them yeah. energy vampires versus the opposite. When you have people that are in, in tune and in line with you, they can, they can feed that. But like you said as well, then there's also value in mentoring and teaching yeah. others that don't have that. But you got to be careful that those aren't like your, your go-to buddies that you hang out with all the time, right? It's more like a mentee versus mentor relationship, right? Yeah, some of it, so much of all of this stuff, whether we're talking about environment or your personal habits is just be intentional. There's a, there's a, a I, I like looking at AI differently rather than like artificial intelligence. I think about like, keep your intention on your intention. So IA, right? It's, it's be hyper-focused as to like, what are you trying to accomplish in your life and be, Keep all your attention on that laser focus, whatever that means. It doesn't mean it can't change over time. It just means that like you're being thoughtful enough and maybe you can miscalibrate. We've all done that where, Hey, I, I was wrong. I gotta, I gotta back off that. It, I went about it the wrong way and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think most people do not live a very intentional life. They're sort of just, they're subscribing to a program, right? It's like, we all subscribe to a program. It's like, I'm supposed to go get a job and like work from Monday through Friday from eight to five. And this is what I should do. And this is what I should do. And like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at different programs, but I'm very thoughtful of subscribing to a program because your brain is a really interesting way of taking in that program and turning it into reality. I mean, right, right. Like everything's created twice, once in your mind and in your hand, it's that sort of concept. And so I would just be very thoughtful of, subscribing to any program. Like I, I always think of this from like an athlete perspective where I'm a runner, right? And everybody will tell you like, hey, you can't run forever. I mean, it's really hard on the body. And like one day, like you're just not gonna be able to do it. And I'm like, don't bring that negative juju to me. I like, I don't wanna hear that crap. Like, cause like, as soon as I start to buy into that, what, what program am I subscribing to? I'm subscribing right. to the program that I will not be a runner forever. I'm subscribing to the program that my body will break down and that I can't maintain this type of lifestyle. That's a really depressing program. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, sure, maybe that's for you guys, but like, that's not my program. My program is, is like, there's right. 90 year old people running marathons. Like I will be one of them. I need this. Like, I'll just take good care of my body. I'll eat well, I'll sleep. I'll work on nutrition. I'll Theragun, I'll roll. I'll do all the things necessary to put me in a position that that's not my program. And so it could be anything. Sickness is another good example. I'm like, I'm not sick. Like, I just need to go exercise. Right. So any sort of program, I would be very cautious of subscribing to it because whether you it or not, it has a very interesting way of manifesting into your reality. That's a really great point. Totally true. So we've gone a little over here, but I knew we would because we got so we could, you and I could probably do this for another <laughs> week straight. So let's, let's finish up. We didn't even get into the standard, but why don't you tell people, yes. let's, let's finish strong. Tell people about what you're doing with the standard and where they can, can, can learn more about it. Yeah. So this is a, a lifelong project, as you well know. So yeah, the, the concept of the standard and building my next company, I wanted to do something in mental health and wellness. 
they're very interconnected topics, but they do have some standalone attributes to them. And when all I did all this research on on mental health and wellness, I read hundreds of books and podcasts, I interviewed all these people. And what I was trying to figure out, Will, was like, how do you really make this easy? Like, it's so complicated for so many people. Most people won't read books, let alone hundreds of books. How do you make positive change like the default position that it just happens for people, right? Like they got to work themselves out of it. Right. And so the conclusions that I came to, although much easier to say than to put into practice, is the idea that you got to meet people where they're at. So I got to figure out what you're struggling with, right? Maybe you want a six pack or maybe you're struggling with sleep or maybe you're dealing with anxiety. I, I don't know. Everybody's on their own little journey. There's 8 billion of us. Plus, I got to figure out where you're struggling in life. And then the second part of it is we've got to the most compelling way to inspire people, which I think inspiration is the jump off to starting change, is if you can connect like-minded people. So here's somebody struggling with an issue and here's somebody that overcame that issue, right? Whatever that issue may be. If I'm dealing with, I wanna quit smoking and here's somebody that overcame that addiction, that the person that overcame the challenge, if you could get them to share their habits and their routines and the way that they thought about that, what would be true is the language they would use in talking about their problem would resonate with the person struggling with that problem more than any other person. And this is true with everything from racism to domestic violence to, I don't know, entrepreneurs struggling, self-sabotage. I mean, you can pick any topic, but the idea was like, take somebody that's struggling with an issue and find somebody that was struggling, but is slightly further down the road. And so that was sort of the backbone of what I'm building here. But what it's meant to be is just a, a platform that sort of reimagines the relationship between mental health and wellness through personal stories. People would come on and they would build a profile. And to the extent that they were comfortable, they would share, these are the things I do to take care of myself for themselves, right? Like, hey, I wake up early or I do this or I meditate or I make oatmeal every morning. Like, the, I mean, the stories are really interesting, but they're not, the, the challenge is it's not like TikTok format. It's a little bit more longer format. But the idea would be is that like every habit and ritual and mindset that somebody shares, there's tags associated with it so that I may not know you specifically, but if you shared some content on the platform and you had an experience that I'm going through, I could search those tags and be like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to do this. And then I would be able to tap into your experience, see what that's like. And it would be a way that I could get inspired to think about my own problem a little bit differently. And I think inspiration, once again, is the jump off to sort of providing tools and resources for people to take action. It's a long project, as you well know. So we're both in the thick of it at this point. But yeah, it's called thestandardapp.com. It's a website right now. And yeah, if you feel like you got a story that might be able to help people, feel free to jump on. We, we'd love to, love to share it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can tell you guys, yeah, it's come a long way since we first started talking a year ago. Yeah. And he's, right, as he said, one of, the, one of the cool things in our group, we, we sort of help each other to see areas and, and that, that that person might not have seen because they're in that tunnel vision. So it's really becoming something pretty, pretty extraordinary. And the, the purpose of what it was meant to be and what it actually is becoming yeah. are getting closer and closer. So keep it going, buddy. Yeah, thanks, man. Awesome. Well, thank you, my man. This was an awesome conversation. I knew it would be. We could keep going forever. I will see you Friday in our yep. group. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, bud. That's it for the Gamify Your Habits podcast with Will Moore. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit moremomentum.com to learn how you can gamify your life.